leaning toward wisdom for September the 29th, Thursday, 2022. I don't know if I can, but I'm going to try. Welcome inside the yellow studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I am your host here. The website is leaning toward modern tales of an ancient pursuit. I'm glad that you clicked play. I hope you find value here as we kind of walk and talk together to figure a few things out. If you're new to the podcast, welcome leaning toward wisdom is not about me extolling wisdom on you. It really is just more of a chronicle and documentation of my own pursuit to lean away from my foolishness toward wisdom. And I assume most anybody and everybody who would click play on this podcast in pursuit of the same thing. It's not that we got it figured out. It's that we're working to figure it out. So I'm glad that you're here. I grew up hearing the phrase, you never know till you try. And I wish I could say that trying was always easy. My biggest fears as a kid involved girls. Yeah, go figure. Now, logically, I was bold. That is, I could think it through. And, you know, if you just applied logic to it, and you try to take the emotions out of it. Well, I guess boldness is easy. But practically speaking... Well, I was a coward. So my best friend had a girlfriend, no car. I had a car, no girlfriend. He wanted to go out on a double date. So he began to pressure me to ask somebody out anybody. I had a friend and she was in our social. Hello. She was in our social circle. Say that fast three times. And we shared a lot of classes together. I'd known her for a long time. I, I liked her. I wasn't in love with her or anything, but I liked her. And for some reason she came to mind. She was attractive. She was popular. Uh, we were at his house. We're mulling over a strategy. And I, I mentioned that I'd like to ask her out. He, he was less than encouraging. And so he was telling me she will never go out with you. You know, now this was all stupid on his part because keep in mind, he had no car. He's wanting me to ask somebody out. It's like you would think that of all the people on the planet that would cheerlead the effort, he would, but you would be wrong. Listen, we were 16 years old. We weren't terribly savvy about these things. I pushed back and I asked him, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Now, this has been a lifelong question that I have asked, but I would learn later in life. My natural tendency wasn't just to ask the question. My natural tendency was to answer it. It would be, I would be in my mid to late twenties before it would dawn on me that lots of people ask the question, what's the worst thing that can happen, but hardly anybody ever answers it. That just seems stupid to me. I said to him, what's the worst thing that can happen? She rejects me. Now he's his stupidity just knew no bounds. He said, well, she could tell everybody she knows, which is everybody. Cause she was popular. So in his room thinking that, 
Well, if she does that, this is the logical part of me. Okay. She rejects me. She tells everybody, come on, this is high school, high school drama. High school drama does not have a long lifespan. I mean, it's gotta be something big to have a long lifespan, something that small. I mean, it is sure to be bested by something larger within a 24 hour high school news cycle. Don't you think I thought so. And even so I was scared, scared to dial the number scared to talk to her. And this is a person that I probably talk to every day. Inexperience does that though, which is why my favorite quote remains. Everything is hard until it's easy. Well, nothing about this was easy dealing with my friend. Well, that he certainly wasn't making any of this easy, uh, working up the courage to figure out what to do, what to say, controlling my heart rate, controlling my breathing. It was all hard. It was all difficult. Eventually I dialed the number and I asked her and she accepted my buddy, he's completely blown away. I mean, the guy just did not know when to quit being stupid. You know, it took a while before he celebrated the fact that we now had a double date booked the double date that he was so desperate to make happen. But no, at this moment, after I hung up the successful phone call, he's dogpiling this whole situation with disbelief, complete, utter disbelief that this endeavor had proven successful like it's i can't believe this it's you know i didn't know if i could either but i tried turns out i could get a date with a girl who my buddy thought was beyond the reach of a troglodyte like myself i was younger than 16 when i picked up a guitar for the first time with the intent to learn to play it i wanted to learn so i bought a book I think I bought a couple of books and I tried. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe that's too strong a term to describe the effort. Uh, maybe I was less motivated for this endeavor than I was in asking that girl out for a date, but weeks passed. And it seemed to me that my mind just wasn't going to cooperate with me learning to play the guitar. And I figured, you know, even if my, my mind does kick in so that I can kind of figure this out. I'm not sure my hands are going to comply. And besides, I mean, there just sure seemed to be a lot of math like skills and thinking required. And this was not my strong suit. YouTube did not yet exist. Neither did the internet. <laughs> I'll go you one better cable TV. Yeah. Listen, we're beyond cable TV. We're beyond satellite TV. We're streaming that cable TV did not exist. If you didn't have an outside antenna, you didn't get TV. Well, or rabbit ears inside. I, I know we were still bearing dinosaurs in those days. So everything was harder. Well, I don't think my guitar learning endeavor lasted. It might have lasted a month. It didn't last very long. I gave up. I tried. I failed. Destined from then on to own guitars, but never being able to play one. Trying does not ensure success and trying harder does not ensure it either. Sometimes we fail. It doesn't matter how hard it doesn't matter how long we work at it. Sometimes we just don't make it. It was during a late night headphone music session when Gavin DeGraw's song, I'm going to try began to play. 
Now this is an older 2013 song. I'm a big fan of his. It's a 2013 song. And honestly, I had not listened to this song in, I couldn't tell you how long, but I had already been thinking about a few things that I wanted to try as Rhonda and I are making some changes in our life. I wasn't thinking too much to tell you the truth about the things that I might try that might fail, because I think most of the things that I was pondering at the time that I'm listening to this song in the wee hours of the morning, I'm mostly thinking about things that I'm pretty confident. No, I'll go you, but I'm a hundred percent confident that Lord willing we could do. I'd been thinking about precisely. I had been thinking about time together with my wife. You've heard me say it before, but we began dating shortly after our 18th birthdays. We've been together ever since exclusively. We were together. Um, there's lots of time wasted apart doing what has to be done to sustain life. Um, you know, there are tons of things that are involved with just living every day. You know, this, we all know this, our to-do list never seems to get fully done. You know, it's less of a list. It's more like a never ending cycle. Uh, it really is a hamster wheel of daily activities that just suck our time and we can't get off the hamster wheel. Well, on this particular night, I was thinking, I was thinking about all that. And I was thinking about one big goal that I have. And that is to live a life with the shortest possible to-do list. And it's not because I'm lazy. It's because I'm thinking about me and Rhonda. But I'm thinking about the kind of to-do list that's required of all of us. You know, things like laundry and carrying out the trash. And those are weekly events that demand the same commitment of, of we need to get that done. But they do not. They do not in any way, shape, or form demand the same commitment as, say, yard work or pool work or something more substantial. For years, our typical late afternoons are consumed with getting things done, necessary things. And you can drive up and down the street, and it's what we're all doing. Well, those of us who aren't doing it, we're paying somebody else to do it. And Rhonda and I, are, we're too frugal and we're not lazy enough to go that route. And so I'm sitting here on this late night, Gavin's song, I'm going to try comes on and I'm imagining, I'm imagining having three to five more hours every day, particularly at the end of a day. And by this point, I've been kind of consumed with this thought for weeks. I've been thinking about how Rhonda and I could continue to deepen our connection now, hold the presses. If you think after 44, almost 45 years of marriage that you can just ride it out, well, you're crazy. And besides, I'm wired toward improvement, and I'm highly motivated to grow. And I'd been thinking of what we might do with that same time that we, we hadn't had since we were first married. People talk about empty nesters and all that. Well, yes, that changes life, but... So many times when the kids leave, couples grow apart because they realize, you know, I mean, the thing that they shared most were the kids. Uh, Rhonda and I have not done that. And I'm thinking on this night as I'm listening to Gavin sing this song, uh, this, this is just different. We got married. We were just shy of turning 21. 
And that winter, so after the Christmas break, we got married over the Christmas break. I was going to school. She was going to school. Uh, she was in Fort Worth. I was in Baton Rouge. And I'm selling hi-fi equipment. And I'm working full-time. I'm trying to go to school full-time. And it just made sense for us because the pricing was stupid cheap for us to move into married housing at LSU. And so we did. And so we got moved in for that, you know, that winter semester, if you please. And it was awesome. It was awesome. I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved her, of course, but I loved our little apartment. I mean, come on, I'm a bike ride away from any and every class. We drove cars to work, but you know, there's just something really special about a college campus. And there's really something special about a pretty and a big college campus. And if you've never been to LSU, it's a, it's a gorgeous campus. I love it to this day. Now I'm an OU Sooner football fan. I ain't wild about, ain't, ain't, well, I ain't wild about the new coach down in Baton Rouge, but that's another story. Rhonda and I spent a little bit of time, but not much because come on, the place is small, but we did spend some time making it our own and it was fun. It was rewarding. It wasn't requiring hours and hours a day to maintain though. And on Saturday mornings, you know, we'd get up, we'd clean the place. Well, that didn't take very long. We would do laundry. I mean, it was this, it was a weekly ritual and yeah, I big time enjoyed it. Mostly I enjoyed us doing things together and other than working most everything else we did, we did together over time. That changes every married well, for every married couple, I suspect. And this does not mean that you grow apart. Although I realize many people do. It just means she's busy with something that she enjoys. I'm busy with something I enjoy. I don't enjoy sewing. I don't know how she doesn't enjoy podcasting. She doesn't know how. But when we were younger, time-wise, we were more into each other than we are now. Now, this is just the practical reality of decades of marriage, at least for us. It's not a barometer of our love and devotion for one another. It's more a barometer of our mutual introversion and our mutual ability to be alone pursuing something we enjoy. No, it doesn't mean we enjoy it more than we enjoy each other, but it means our lives are broader and we do have independent things that we want to pursue for us. We've never pursued things outside our home. Our pursuits happen in separate spaces under the same roof. That's always been the case. I'm not throwing rocks at couples where that is not the case, but that's just never been us. I'm not the guy who's going to go off with the buddies and do stuff this weekend or that weekend, or it's just not who I am. I'm not critical of people that are that way, but I suppose that that's kind of got even its own challenges that we don't have. And we've got some challenges that that doesn't present. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking as I'm listening to Gavin sing this song, I'm thinking of how to incorporate more things we can do together, but I'm focused on things that she wants to do together. And you, you can say, well, come on, you ought to know that. Yeah. Listen, things change. You know, I, you don't until you ask, 
I'm thinking of the local places we might investigate. I'm thinking of the walks around places that we've never walked before that we might venture to. I'm thinking of the meals that we could share at home or elsewhere. By the time I'm hearing Gavin saying, I'm going to try, I have been pondering for weeks this idea that I'm currently thinking of, of having 20 to 25 hours a week together that we haven't had in over 40 years. Now it's not lost on me. Okay. Well, we're not going to spend all of those together. You know what it's going to mean? It's going to mean she's got more time to sew, which thrills her. But I'm anticipating this change. I'm anticipating this new goal and I'm, I'm, I'm getting really excited about it. But I began to wonder about the changes that we're making, she and I. And I began to think about the ones that we've got planned. And it's during the singing of that song that this phrase enters my mind. I don't know if I can. Now, firstly, I thought, well, that's never stopped me before. It has slowed me down for sure. I mean, go back to me asking the girl on a date. I don't know how long we sat in my buddy's bedroom with his phone right there in front of me on the desk for who knows how long before I dialed. But it was a while. I'm a hundred percent confident about this most important endeavor though, because it involved and it does involve the person that I love the most, my wife. And, and I also know my level of determination. So this endeavor of spending more time together, yeah, I'm a hundred percent sure that that's going to happen. Lord willing that we live and survive, but I got some other things some longer term plans, and I'm not quite as sure, but it's worth the risk. Now, each of us has to decide if the thing that we're going to try is worth the risk of finding out we can't, you need me to say that over (laughs) you on a treadmill. You didn't quite catch that. And you're thinking, wait, what did he just say? We have to decide for ourselves if the thing that we're going to try Is it worth the risk of finding out that we can't do it? I mean, for me, that really is the bottom line of it. One way that we have tackled some of the risks that I'm thinking about, which it's not important what the specifics are, but for us, I have posed one big question, which really isn't so much a question, but it really is more of a strategy. And that is what do we most want the next year or so to look like? I've never been one for, okay, what's your one year goal? What's your five year goal? What's your 10 year goal? What's your 15? I just, it's not how my brain works. My brain mostly works to what's next. What's the very next step. However, I do want to, I do want to have the end in mind, but I'm at a different phase of life now at this age. And we're, we got some different circumstances that are afoot. And so I sat down one evening and I said, well, what if we do this? What if we just let's try to architect what we want the next 12 to 16 months to look like, give or take. And we both got on board with that. So for us right now at this phase of life, it's about not getting too far ahead of ourselves in execution. However, We are getting far enough ahead of ourselves with our strategy, with our hopes, with our plans. We're just not getting too far ahead of ourselves when it comes to, okay, what we're going to do. Now, both of us, we have personalities that want to know. Neither of us are real fond of surprises. Okay. Yeah. If it's a pleasant surprise, I mean, if publisher, 
if publishers clearinghouse, if they knock on the door, I'm going to be thrilled, <laughs> but we do both enjoy planning scheming. You know, scheming is often the most fun of all. It's less for us about fearing a loss of control. It's more about robbing ourselves of the time that we could spend planning, scheming, anticipating what's next. That's always a fitting question for the two of us. And by that, I mean, what's the very next step. Now, what do we do? We always begin with the end result which I have for years dubbed the ideal outcome. Come on. If you're going to aim for it, aim for the ideal. Don't just aim for, well, you know, we'll just settle for that. And I mean, figure out what would be most ideal from, from there. We work our way toward figuring out the very best first step that we need to take. That will take us in that direction toward that ideal outcome. Now, I don't know how many steps there are going to be to get there. And I likely don't even know what the second, third, or fourth step is. I may, but I'm only real worried about the first step because I know if I don't take that one, then, well, nothing else is going to matter. Typically, what we're doing right now with some of these bigger plans that we have that transcend the 12 to 16-month time frame, we're looking at the ideal outcome. We have kind of sort of figured out what we think that ideal outcome would be best once we get there and we live with it for a little bit. We just kind of let it breathe. Now we normally don't agree. You may find this a big shock. We don't normally agree a hundred percent of the time right out of the gate with an idea. And that contributes to a far better outcome through debate thinking it through together and considering what the other person might want more than what we want. Now, sometime in the next year or so, Lord willing, we are going to look more seriously into creating this ideal outcome that will take us beyond the next year or so. So we'll call this our big goal and our big goal involves some things that we've never done. Okay. Well, that's not completely accurate the whole project involves at least a few things that we've never done it involves a few things that maybe we haven't done in a while and so far what we have done is we have mitigated the risk because we are not at a stage in life where risks are acceptable that doesn't mean that we're fear afraid of failure i mean we're gonna try but we don't know if we can pull off our goal. And for us, failure is going to happen on paper. Failure is going to happen in our minds. It's not going to happen with our money. We're going to count the cost and we're going to figure out if we can succeed or not. And so that's our safety net. But still, you know, we can't make this ideal outcome happen on paper. I mean, we've got to bring it to fruition. In a previous show, I talked about watching more parades. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for today's episode. Just find September 29th, 2022 episode watching more parades. Well, watching more parades is just my metaphor for how, how to be more encouraging to other people's dreams. The world is filled with dream crushers and 
mostly dream crushers. Well, it's a way of life. It's a habit. And a lot of folks just do it and they don't give it any thought, right? They're just busy expressing their disbelief, their lack of confidence, uh, their disagreement. And then there's another group of people that just don't know how to encourage people because, well, they're too busy judging how stupid or ridiculous they think the idea is. And so we can hear somebody express some goal or some dream and we can, we can think or say out loud to them, well, man, I wouldn't do that, but we're not them. And it might be ideal for them. Ron and I've got some friends who are much younger than we are. And they had some big dreams for the past few years. And when they first shared those dreams with us uh, a number of years ago, we were, we were pretty thrilled for them. We also discovered very quickly that other people that they had shared this with, they weren't quite so thrilled. Um, we told them how thrilled we were. It's their dream. It's not ours. Did their dream seem fantastical? Well, sure. But <laughs> why dream small? And as fantastical as it was, they had a plan and they were committed to their plan. And like us, they strategized, they figured out what it would take. They projected into the future. And by doing that, they felt pretty confident that they would know whether or not they could pull this off. And so kind of like us, the risk of failure was really, okay, maybe we can't pull the trigger on this. Or maybe we have to lower our expectations. And like us, they just didn't see that as much of a risk at all. And frankly, I didn't either. Not that it mattered what I thought. As I create this episode, as I prepared for this episode, they have achieved their goal. And I have been, oh man, I've been super excited because for me, when I see somebody else achieve something, it it just fuels my optimism for what I most want to achieve. And I'm genuinely happy for them. I don't know if I can, but I'm going to try. The temptation is to think that we're either going to succeed or fail, but there are other outcomes because you and I both know we're going to learn. We're going to adjust and failure may only be our first attempt. And after a handful of adjustments, we may find success. We may find out that our plans, which only exist on paper or in our head, that they're not, they're just not practical. They're not realistic. And so again, okay, we adjust if we can, or we ditch that idea in favor of something more achievable. The options are almost limitless. So it's not this binary. Well, it's either going to succeed or it's going to fail. There's all kinds of stuff in between. Can Rhonda and I achieve what we are planning beyond the 12 to 16 month time? I don't know. I really don't. I don't know, but we're going to try. We're going to keep noodling the ideas, which I think now, I don't know. I think now we're on iteration number five. And by the way, I have to tell you that I was getting super amped up and excited about iteration four. I was really excited about iteration one, but by the time we got to iteration four, I'm like, man, we got this figured out. This is going to be awesome. And then Rhonda one day blurts out this big objection she had to iteration number four, which I was obviously, I was driving the bus on it, but she was giving me input, but she was also taking time to process it and think about it. And so one day I'm kind of 
loud mouthing around about how excited I am about iteration four. And she blurts out a big objection to it, which turns out was a great and valid objection. And it's an objection that I did not know was as big for her as it is. And so she offered an alternative, which at least on paper turns out to be extraordinarily better. And I don't mean a little bit better. I mean, exponentially better. It's the power of two people with a shared goal, willing to collaborate, willing to approach the problem, or in our case, the opportunity from different perspectives. And it does help when you love each other. And no, it's not like one friend of mine wanted to joke that, well, our wives are smarter. My wife's plenty smart, but I'm no idiot. It's not about husbands being smarter. It's not about wives being smarter. The fact is, at least for Rhonda and I, we are smarter together than we are alone. And we're both pretty stinking smart alone. The process is fun. I mean, you want the elephant in the room for me? The process is fun. Lots of fun. Today, we are mapping out on paper our plan. We don't know if we can do it or not, but we're going to try. And that means we're going to figure out how much it'll cost to achieve what we've planned. Could be it's cost prohibitive. Could be it's not. We have to find out. And when we find out, we'll know whether we can move forward or whether we will have to adjust. Either way, we win. We're not going to fail completely. In Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back is that famous exchange between Luke and Yoda. Luke, master moving stones around is one thing. This is totally different. Yoda, no, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you've learned. Luke, all right, I'll give it a try. Yoda, no. Try not, do, or do not. There is no try. Now, in one sense, this famous exchange, it's correct. It's right. We have to take action. We can't merely think about it. We can't just dream about it or daydream about it. We can't even just strategize about doing something. But in another sense, it's wrong. It's completely wrong. Because no success is achieved without trying. And the danger of trying is failing, but the danger of not trying is also failing. Go back to 16 year old me in my buddy's bedroom. Had the girl I called turned me down, I would have suffered defeat rejection. My buddy, well, he would have laughed maniacally and maybe she would have gone to school the next day. And maybe she would have been told the entire school mockingly. Can you believe he asked me out? All of those were possible. They might've even been probable. So I could have sat there in my buddy's bedroom and I could have refused to dial her number. Well, then I'm not defeated or am I? Of course I'm defeated because I didn't even try. And then I would have been left with all the thoughts of what might've happened. If I had dialed, I know the outcome because I did it. I know the outcome because I tried. I know you and me, we're sitting here thinking in our, in our fantastical world of imagination, what could have been, but we only know the outcome of what we did because that's what we tried. 
I picked up the phone. I called her. She accepted. We went on a date. It was the only date we went on. It wasn't a particularly great date. Come on. We were 16. I would find out later. It was her first date. Well, that feels pretty good. I behaved like a gentleman. She behaved like a lady. It was all fine and well. And I met her mom and dad. Yes, I wore a suit. (laughs) That was the day. That was the day. So you got to try. The yellow studio began in my head. I thought about what I wanted to do. I thought about how I wanted to do it. I did my research and I talked with people who knew the broadcast workflow, which is what I most wanted to follow. Now, simply put, here's what it is. Broadcast workflow means you hit the record button and it's done just like a live broadcast. You watch a live broadcast. There's no do overs. It goes out to the air and it's, it's there. The recording process. Think about the music that you listen to. If you think that band just got in the same room together and they played all their instruments and they just did it in one take. No, think of the difference in listening to a band on Spotify and then going to listen to that band in a concert. The concert is equal to broadcast workflow. It's live listening to them on Spotify is the recording workflow. They likely did many takes. There's a whole lot of software involved. There's a lot of processing and extra work involved after they have performed to get that sound. I wanted the live, the, the, the live concert, kind of a broadcast workflow. Well, very quickly, I discovered in more detail what I already knew. And that is it's going to take hardware and hardware is more expensive than software. Well, now at that point I could have just adjusted and I could have decided, okay, I'm going to alter that broadcast workflow. I'm going to instead go to the recording workflow, but I didn't do that. And the reason I didn't do that is I wanted to put in the work on the front end. And after I record, I, I want to be done. I didn't want to do recording and then do a bunch of work on the back end. So it's just really, for me, it was a matter of where do you want to put your work? Do you want to put the work in preparing Or do you want to work, put the work in processing it after the fact? I did not want to do that. So I didn't give up my plan. Good thing is I was able to calculate the cost of the hardware that was going to be required. And so now armed with that number, I could then decide what am I going to do? Okay. Well, at that point, there's no failure. I'm just learning. I could have made any decision. I I could have abandoned the whole idea altogether and said, I'm not going to. I'm not, I'm ne- there's never going to be a yellow studio. I could have gone in a completely different direction, but I didn't. Instead, I figured, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. And I didn't go into debt to do it because I had planned for it. I had saved for it and it did not happen in one fell swoop. I assembled the gear that made up the yellow studio version 1.0. I assembled that gear over time as I scoured the internet for deals. And that's how the yellow studio was born. Part of the fun, part of the fulfillment may be in not knowing if we can, the fact that it's not a surefire thing might just saying it might just add to our excitement. It might add to the allure of chasing it. I can pick up the phone. I can dial. She may not say yes. She might say no. There is something to that. 
I'm reminded of a passage. It's in one of the Hunter S. Thompson's books. And I, I still, I laugh. I laughed like crazy when I first read it because I've just traveled so many country dirt roads and you just seen it. I've seen it so many times and he vows that rabbits out in the country. Yeah. They're just, they're just perched on a dirt road that might not see a car for hours. They're just waiting. They're just waiting. They're just waiting because they get an adrenaline rush by darting out there right before you get to them, you know, to see if they can escape your wheels. <laughs> You see so many rabbits darting across country roads, roads that you know are not well-traveled, and you're thinking, I mean, how is it that these rabbits just time it so that, well, Hunter vows that it's a, he vowed that it was a conscious effort on the part of the rabbits. I mean, you know, come on, they're country rabbits. They're looking for anything to do for fun. Something to it, right? The thrill. Rhonda and I don't know if the things that we've put down on paper, we don't know if they're feasible or not. We think they are. We don't, we think they're great ideas. We don't know if they are not yet. We do have some semblance that they are valid. We're a hundred percent confident that with proper adjustments, we will be able Lord willing to achieve our goals. Some semblance of our goals. Can we, can we achieve the goals that we iteration? Number five is iteration five going to be the final one. Probably not. But whatever iteration it is, we're still going to view it as success. We don't know if we can, but we're going to try. The Yellow Studio 3.0 which will be the next iteration. Speaking of iterations of the yellow studio, it's being designed to be a 12 to 16 month version of the yellow studio. It's not being designed to be the permanent version, but there are no guarantees that the plan is going to take the shape. I intend there, there's no guarantee that it's going to be for as long as I'm planning might be longer, might be shorter, but I can tell you this. I'm very excited about the prospect of it. Primarily because it's going to be simple and straightforward, straightforward. And yeah, that part of it, but come on, you've been listening for the last few weeks. You know how thrilling all that is to me. I'm pretty sure I can do it. But I won't know till I try. So we're all going to have to stay tuned. Leaning toward wisdom is modern tales of an ancient pursuit. I'm documenting mine. But as you listen to me and as we walk and talk together, you're thinking of your own. And I hope that's the value to provoke you to think about your own efforts in leaning toward wisdom, whatever that looks like for you. That's what it looks like to each his own. We have to pursue these things individually because our context matters. Who we are matters. Our personalities matter. The people that surround us 
and maybe the people that don't, that matters. There's so many variables to our life. But we want to make the most of it. And as the Brits say, we don't know if we can, but we want to give it a go. So the biggest aspects of leaning toward wisdom are you and me collectively and individually figuring this out and then giving it a go. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. My name is Randy Cantrell from Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio.